Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast, where we listen into a group of rural firefighters as they give their opinions on the challenges they face both on and off the fireground. We release a new episode every week, so please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this with your fire family and friends. Now on to this week's episode, where as always, we ask the question, are you DTFF? Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Carl and tonight I am joined by two members of my firefighting family. I have Ash. Hey guys. And I have Scott. Hey there. And uh, today actually, today we had a uh, we had the opportunity to speak with somebody um, who we've all been listening to for a very, very long time, I'm sure. Uh, if you are in the podcast realm at all um, and you've been listening to us, you've probably looked at other firefighter podcasts as well. And this guy is... Probably, uh, probably number one on the list when it comes to firefighter podcasts. Um, it is Mr. James Gearing. He is the uh, the host of Behind the Shield. Um, he's currently running at about 275 episodes, and uh, he has had people like he's had John Travolta on. He's had Jocko on. He's this guy's had like it's because it's really not fully volunteer. It's not fully firefighter podcast. It's a, it's a lifestyle podcast. Yeah. As he says. Yeah. yeah. And things that he can take away from each individual and then relate that to the service. Yeah. So every walk of life, there's something that you can take a piece away and then relate that to yourself personally or the service. So. It's, it's true. And that, that, that large side of what he really does on his, on his podcast is, is like the guys are saying, he takes that, Everyone has uh, everyone has these kind of different standards and rules and ways of doing things in life that have helped them achieve certain things, and uh, it's a really good way of him taking that information and just kind of applying it to the fire service. But bigger than that, um, he's definitely into the wellness and the the kindness and compassion kind of saw of, uh, of of what's missing sometimes in the the, the fire industry. So, uh, and a lot of uh, EMR services. So, one hundred percent. One of uh, one of our favorite guests for sure. A great, great guy out there doing really good things for the community and for the service and uh, for for people all over the world. So definitely check him out. Uh, listen to his his podcast behind the shield. Um, and uh, yeah, without further ado, boys, we're going to get straight into it because it was a it was a quality one. It went on for a great chunk of time. I'm glad he had the time to give us. So let's give it, and we're going to get straight into it. I'd uh, I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. James Gearing. James, how are you? Very well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. We really appreciate it. We've been we're all listeners. We have been for many many. Well, I have been for years. I don't know how long the boys have, but I know that we've uh, we've listened to quite a few of them. Um, I know one of my favourites, uh, definitely, just because being a fan of obviously Jocko as well, was the Jocko episode. Um, Scott had mentioned, uh, in fact, just before when we were talking, um, we pulled that one back up and we all had another listen. And it, Scott believes now that should be mandatory listening. I think for every firefighter, there was some real, uh, there were some real key hits or there. Or captain, or captain, yeah, captain. Yeah. or chief. For leadership for sure. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's a solid, solid episode. Great, great content. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the beautiful thing about podcasts. I think a lot of people miss is it's a free library, you know. So one of the best compliments I have is sometimes someone will reach out and they'll be part of a training division and they'll say, "Oh, we've assigned you know podcast episode whatever as training now." And I think that's that's it. You listen to Jonko Willink or um, any of these these people, and it's much more fun to me than watching some PowerPoint presentation on on the. Uh, 
you know, target solutions or whatever program they use. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, and again, I've already done the uh, the old typical where I get straight off a topic. That tends to be our thing. I'm going to go back over to actually uh, <laughs> yourself and maybe we'll get a little bit of intro from you there, chap. So, um, James, um, where were you uh, Where were you currently right now? Um, so I live now in Ocala, Florida, which is a beautiful um, kind of uh, diamond in the rough, if you like, um, city that initially was a horse town. Um, and it's about an hour north of Orlando, but beautiful, beautiful countryside around. And in a community, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, where the kids do go out and play and come home when the streetlights come on. So kind of back to the, the old way of doing things, but with a modern kind of twist. Love it. And obviously, you know, from your accent, you're obviously from uh, another part of the world. Where did you originate? Yeah, Johannesburg. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, the same place as you, I believe, Carl, from Bath, England. There you go, yeah. Isn't that strange? That is really, Australia. really strange. Australia, I yeah. you were from Australia. Yeah, the southwest. <laughs> no. They say, mate, they're like, oh, you're Australian. I'm like, no, they stole it from England. It's originally English. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. Well, it's uh, it's it's great to have another Batholian on the uh, on the podcast. That a very very strange coincidence, but an awesome money either way. Um, so what? Um, obviously, you were you were born back uh, back home, and then you moved over here. Were were you? Tell us a little bit about your history with the with the fire service. Did you start back home, or did you start when you got here? No. So it's a, a funny story, I guess. When when you believe in fate, this is definitely a fate story because. When I was school age and they started doing all the, you know, the physicals and stuff, they told me I was colorblind. I couldn't see all the, the numbers in that ridiculous book. And they were like, all right, you can never be a fireman, you can never be a pilot, you can never be anything cool. You're probably going to work in a pizza factory the rest of your life. <laughs> so I had to kind of scratch it off my list because as a young kid, you don't ever question, you know, someone in authority. Um, so for years and years and years, I believe, that I couldn't. So I, um, I even helped one of my friends train for the fire brigade. And it wasn't until literally I was about to move to um, America. I, I worked as a stuntman for a while and met a girl in Japan, an American girl. So we ended up getting married and moving to the US. And I saw an episode of Muscle and Fitness. And in there was a Miami Dade fireman and he was talking about being a paramedic and extrications and firefighting. And I don't know why it took me, I'm not the sharpest tool in the box, but why it took me till my mid-20s to figure this out. But I kind of realized, well, wait a second, I can see color, this is bullshit. Um, so I ended up going to uh, Orlando, where we moved to, and there was a fire academy like five miles down the road. And so the very first physical was a little nerve-wracking, but I told them, hey, I'm not going to be able to tell you everything in this book, but tell me anything in this room, I'll tell you what color it is. And lo and behold, that's all it took, and that was my beginning in the fire service. It just took me to come to America to get there. So how long ago was that then, there, James? That was, I went to the Academy 2002, so oh. like 18 years ago now. Oh, okay. So you've well, you've almost been in then for, for 20 years. You've, you've probably... Um, yeah. Actually, was it 2002 or 03 I went in, but I started 04 as my first, you know, uh, job. So it was actually 14 years. I retired a year and a half ago. Okay. So, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I mean, that's that's a good, it's a good solid stint. I'm sure 
you've seen and uh, been through a lot in those points. And we'll get to those things as well, because I'd really like to touch on, I know that you're a, you're a big advocate of the hard training and things like that, which I definitely want to talk to you about. But um, let's, let's check in a little bit with, um, with what your kind of, what did your, what was your family life like as you were growing up there? from the same place same side of the pond as well that banter if it's one of the key aspects of you know your department it really helps bring everyone together um it's real funny at first you know you you, you kind of take the piss out of people being a being an englishman you know you think ah oh, take the piss a little bit it's kind of how i show affection and then you know you get people that just look at you a little bit weird like uh, is, he, is he serious and then you get into the firehouse and you do it and everyone starts kicking back and you're like oh I feel comfortable again. <laughs> this feels this feels yeah. like home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This feels like home. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. yeah, the sarcasm was a big thing, though. I'd make some sarcastic remarks, like very dry humor, as we Brits tend to be. And yeah, that's that look back, like people are horrified. I'm like, no, that was a fucking joke. Oh, that's you're good you're good here. um yeah no exactly it's that that's it definitely takes that serious edge for some people just, oh, no this is how we show affection <laughs> if i yeah. don't if i don't yeah, take the are. piss and you I, know i don't like you and that, yeah and it is the, definitely the sign i think of a, of a healthy firehouse and that, that translates obviously to any business or family but you know when when people are making fun of each other and it's and it's kind-hearted i teach my son this too you know there's all this um, uh, hypersensitivity about, especially words like we were talking about before. You know, like the word ass. Oh, you can't say ass. It's your, it's your bum. Why can you not refer to the top of your leg? You know, in that way. But um, you know, and then I tell him, it's like it's what's behind words. Like you can be incredibly cruel and not say one swear word. You know, or you can bang your toe, say a swear word, and it's not cruel to anyone. You know. So, um, but I think with with the firehouse, as long as it's not. Um, meanness behind what people are saying then that banter is exactly what you need to, to offload the things that you do every day yeah couldn't couldn't agree more yeah it's that uh i think i think it was uh i think it was actually spence when we had spence on for one of them he was saying that that dark humor that we have that all of us you know hold near and dear to our hearts is our way of helping <clears throat> 
helping deal with some of the the fun things and not so fun things that we get to see and kind of you know deal with but that dark humor is that it's that release it's that outlet it's that kind of you know the button you push with everyone and you know that everyone's going to be on board for it to be able to just kind of cope with what's actually going on in the background and kind of lighten the lighten the the mood and you know the temperature a little bit yeah, we had a we had like a yeah. we had a dinner party last kind of a dinner party last night, and there was uh, some guys that are first responders there. And we were doing the dark humor, and I don't think the wives appreciated it. <laughs> <laughs> but we were just you know, we were just talking the way we talk. And, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and the, the other thing is the humor. I think a lot of people forget, and this was Anaheim, my my uh, department I had in California. So I worked for four different places in my career. I went to the East Coast, West Coast, and then back to East because of family. Um, but uh, I'm definitely the most tight-knit, you know, group I was in, crew. And the humor was also a great thing for training. Like, if you screwed up on a call, you screwed up on a drill ground, we had this kind of, like, wall of shame, and you come back, and the geniuses have been on, on the internet, and then Photoshop your face into all these ridiculous, <laughs> whatever you screwed up on, you know, you dropped the ladder, you, you know, stuck a needle through someone's in the wrong place. Um, yeah, but so the humor is also a, a, a well-intended way of making sure that you learn from mistakes too. So it, it has all these good places, and that's what's so dangerous about saying everything we do now is hazing because it's not hazing. There's hazing. I mean, one department I used to work at, they, before I got there, supposedly would grab people and stick a pen light up their butt. That is hazing. And that's yeah. also how you're going to find yourself with no teeth if you try to do that to me. But um, <laughs> that's very, very different to you know the normal firehouse banter, which I think is harmless and definitely brings a group together. Yeah, could could not agree more. Um, there's uh, we we obviously we we do a lot of reading. We look into a lot of these different things and. As a firefighter, obviously you're you're all over all these different pages, and it always amazes me some of the things that some people complain about with with some of these situations. I don't know if it's just that people are just more touchy these days with certain subjects, or uh, or just in life in general, um, pressures from somewhere else or whatever. But it does seem that everyone just gets a little bit too fired up over silly shit. Like it it doesn't seem to be. It needed them as much of a reaction as it as it gets sometimes, and and then you get a lot of people that jump on that bandwagon too. It's a, it's a scary thing when all you were trying to do is again, like you say, um, people will learn from the mistake if you kind of poke them a little bit about it, right? Like that stuff gets ingrained. <laughs> you get the piss taken yeah. out of you oh, for yeah. something, you know. You get ripped on for it. It it's such if you gain a nickname because of it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. So you mentioned that uh, you mentioned there, James, that um, you've been on for four different departments. Do you want to go into that a little bit for us? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So I mean, it's ended up being again, the universe is a weird thing. I think what it ended up doing was giving me a great kind of um, what they call it thirty thousand foot view of the American fire service. I, didn't, I never worked with an Eng- uh, English fireman, and obviously uh, never been in Canada either, but. Um, what took me there, I started off training in, in um, Orlando. My now ex-wife, my, my little boy's mother, um, she kind of wanted to be in the entertainment industry. She wanted to move to Miami, so I went and worked in Hialeah Fire Department, which absolutely set the bar for the rest of my career. Uh, the way it happened, they did a non-cert training. It was the department that was very, very poorly paid. It's very poorly paid even to this day, but full 
when it was an uncertain hurry, but I had my search, and so did about half of our class. So why they sent these civilians through EMT school and then fire school, they kept us on the drill ground and beat the shit out of us for three months. So when you see like smoke diver programs, things like that, I mean, I really do kind of parallel what we went to a much more stretched out version of that because we started off gently, they worked us up, and our PT was in shorts and, and t-shirt and sneakers the first day and by the last week we were doing PT, full gear, air, everything. Um, and yeah, they, they hammered the hell out of us. We were in you know, the Miami area in the summer. Um, so that was just such a great introduction because it was like, but you know, Hell Week, and it was it was definitely a fire service version of of just setting that bar so damn high. Uh, and they weren't afraid to get rid of people either, which was very good to see. You know, if you're a slug, I remember this one guy specifically was a slug, like he just didn't try, came in totally deconditioned, um, and they brought a lazy boy out in front of the draw ground, sat him down so he could watch his his class do the PT that they had earned because of his mistakes <laughs> and it didn't even and it didn't even bother him that's how bad he was oh, they let go. and good for them you know a lot of departments don't they hang on to everyone that's not <clears throat> the profession that you do that um so anyway that was highly i worked with them almost a year and my my ex said she wanted to go to hollywood you know be a, be a movie star so i uh, i ended up testing with anaheim fire um and got a job it was amazing i, I flew over for like two of the the sessions and then got offered a job and moved over there. Absolutely loved that department as well. Um, highly, like I said, it was amazing training, but they, they were very badly paid. The conditions were, they, they run those guys into the ground. Um, the Anaheim was, again, a bunch of very fired up people, but a very good department, very well equipped, very well supported. Um, and then we had a little boy while I was there, so my ex said she wanted to move back to Florida to be close to her family. So again, as any first responder listening, there's only one thing that comes ahead of the job because we all love it, but family comes first and that was it. And I was heartbroken leaving. I was a tillerman driving the back of a tiller truck with an amazing crew. If anyone's heard um, episode, I don't know what episode it was now, what number. But anyway, I had one with my, uh, my entire crew I did um, and just an amazing group of people. So moved back to, to Florida, got hired with Orange County, Florida, worked with them for five years. Um, and then was going through a divorce. And anyone out there who's been through a divorce as a firefighter, um, I was going through paramedic school at the same time as well. That is not a fun environment. And then when you're working 56 hour weeks um, and trying to be a single father, it's very challenging when they start telling you, oh, you're going to get mandatory as well, you can't go home. Um, so I had to make a decision and I moved to my last department, which is the one that protects Disney, um, for the last five years. And then, uh, kind of started this and realized this was, you know, the, the podcast is doing some amazing things out there. So decided to, to retire so I could focus on the podcast full time. So I took all my retirement out accrued and I paid myself for a year and a half hoping that by the end of that I would be uh, able to secure a sponsor that would, you know, replace the, the salary I gave up so I could keep doing the podcast. So that's kind of, that brings us to where we are today. That's, uh, that's a hell of a story there, chap. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't even imagine, you know, your 56 hour weeks and things going through all that training plus the stresses of divorce and, you know, shifting around a lot. It just, it sounds like you uh, you went through some, some pretty... Pretty roughness there as well. Yeah, it's, again, like with, 
that is academy. It's definitely the, my worst year. Like I had an, an incident with my little boy at the end of last year, which probably was one of the worst couple of days I've had for a long, long time. But yeah, I mean, that's the the thing that we have to acknowledge as first responders is we're, we're people as well, you know, and there's men and women out there that are battling addiction, that are going through relationship problems, that, you know, gambling debts, you know, losing their home, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, and that is the unseen part. Like, oh, your, your shift is easy. This, you know, you only, you only had three calls and, and they were BLS. So, you know, what's wrong? Like, well, what's wrong if he's just found out his wife's cheating or, you know, his kid's got some terminal disease or, so, um, yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's something that we really don't do a very good job in the fire service as acknowledging that we're not the superheroes, but, you know, some people paint us to be and that we are humans with human problems. And I know as far as my tolerance, my patience, my anger, that was probably one of the worst years. Uh, I actually almost threw down one of the guys at my station who was a friend, but he made a very poor choice to do a firehouse prank and write pedophile over the picture of my son that I had on my desktop, you know, the, the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was ready to knock his jaw off. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But, yeah, that's, that's a you know, combination of his, a very poor choice of him, but also I would have, I would have taken it on the chin normally and just, you know, be like, yeah, that, that was a bad choice. But yeah, yeah you, when, when you see people manifest and we, um, you know, get, getting angry and I know all of us, like 10 years ago, absolutely. What the hell is this problem? You know, what flew up your ass today? Yeah. Now we need to start realizing that's actually a sign to say, hey, grab a cup of coffee. Let's go, let's go outside and talk. What's going on? You know, so rather than trying to press their buttons, actually trying to find out why they are not acting the way they normally are. Yeah, it's a, you're right. It's a call to action for anybody who can see it. Um, and it, sometimes it takes somebody who's also not in that same frame of mind to see it. It can be quite challenging okay. to... I mean, I think to at least spot sometimes if you're going through something, it's difficult to see what others are dealing with because you're so self-absorbed with what you're dealing with that, you know, you're, you're, you're posting out different things yourself and you're not even, you're not even looking at the, the fire that's right in front of your face, uh, cause you're so busy trying to deal with your own internal struggles. So yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. There was, yeah. uh, there was yeah, something I think that's the thing with the full-time guys is that, yeah, most of them are working on average, 56 hours a week, depending on where you are in the country. Um, so like you said, they're, they're all exhausted. They're all on edge. They're all dealing with stuff. So yeah, we have to really kind of take a step back and then for the, for the career firefighters really look at the way we do these work weeks. Because in my opinion, that's the elephant in the room that's causing so much mental and, and physical ill health. Is the sleep deprivation stuff and all the, the those types of things, is that... Yeah, I mean, because I mean, we're, I'm, I'm going up a tangent now, but we, you know, we've identified carcinogens and we, I think they're doing a great job. The clean cab concept, the, the healthy firefighter guys from Sweden have done an amazing job bringing that kind of philosophy over here. Um, uh, you know, understanding that side of the same way as we, we understand, you know, exposures to, to biohazards. But the other side of the coin is the immune system. If your immune system is broken down, you're going to be more susceptible to cancer, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, depression, anxiety. And these are all proven. And if you go to the sleep medicine world, there is no doubt. And then the problem is with the short term is the cognitive effect. So my question recently has been, well, how many of these intersection wrecks where, you know, a fire apparatus hits the civilian um, or, you know, someone gets lost in a search and falls off a roof. 
many of those were related to sleep deprivation? How many officers mistakenly shot someone because they've been awake for 24 hours, you know, and cognitively are, are, are not prepared to make a life or death decision because they're set up for failure? Yeah, uh, yeah, all of that is, it makes absolutely sense. Like, we're all sat here nodding away, you know, in, in complete agreement. Um, you know, being being from the volunteer side of things, you know, it's not that we're it's not that we're on shift work. We're always on call, um, regardless of whenever that pager goes off. We drop what we're doing at that precise time and go and deal with the situation that's occurring. But it, like you said before, we're still human beings. We're still all people, and we're still dealing with the normal day to day of life. But then we're also we've we've got our day to day jobs as well that we're doing. And some people maybe they're on night shift. Some people maybe they work a twelve hour job and then you know they get the call at three in the morning and they're out for another six hours and then they only get a couple of hours sleep and then they're back on the job the next day. You know, so the the struggle's still there. It's just different in the sense that we're not constantly out underneath the pressures of fire. We're just under the pressures of just your kind of standard day to day. And then you throw fire in on top. So. Com completely yeah. understand. Well, yeah, and with you guys, in thinking about it, so one thing that's said a lot in the career departments are you can you can sleep all night. You have one of those miraculous calls, you know, one of those miraculous shifts where you're in a busy house. I spent my whole career in busy houses, and but you get that one where you sleep all night, and everyone still feels like shit because I always explain it this analogy: those giant symbols that they have in the, the orchestras, you know, they hold one in each hand, they smash them together. To me, being in a firehouse is like telling someone to go to sleep, but telling them that, hey, at some point, I might smash these in your ear hole. Yeah. You know, you're not going to sleep properly. That's basically what the alarms are. And there's probably an element of that for you as well. Whether you're at home and you've just, you know, you finished your day job, there's still a part of your brain that's waiting for that patient to go off. Um, that's not allowing you to probably get to that deep, deep restorative sleep. Yeah, I know um, with us, because Ash and I are both captains, and, and we have uh, we have a duty officer, and and so our job is to answer the the radio when it goes off. And I, and I, and we were talking the other day because we have a new captain that just started. We we're telling them it's like when you're the duty officer for the week, um, you have that even that extra stress because you're you're the one that has to answer the radio. So any little hiss or click on the pager, you're like uh, you're up and you're you're ready to go. So it, it definitely adds a. I, I know I don't sleep that well during the week when I'm on. Mm -hmm. I don't know about Ash. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, it, it's exactly that, you know. If you're not on duty for the week and you're responding from home to the hall like we all do, um, already you're still generally on edge. Like, after years of service, you, you get a little more used to it. But uh, when you're on duty as, as the officer, like I just came off duty this past week and we were having some uh, radio issues one night and every... 45 minutes it would shuts the little stack right shirt. and each time it was 0 to 100 I was sat up and you know like what's happening okay nothing nothing back to sleep where normally I would turn off my radio and just respond with my I am responding from my phone because I don't need to listen to like the first 30 seconds I can get the the call and then respond but as the duty officer you have to respond immediately be in semi-sound mind to understand the call and then proceed out and know what you're going to so yeah i mean i i think like like you just said there those those symbols you're, you're just waiting for it so you can never really let your guard down completely you might rest but you're not sleeping properly yeah 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 
get the guys to say, oh, it's always the fake guys who get hurt. And it is because if you're in full time, if you're up every third day, and yeah, basically not sleeping every third day, any station out there that runs a lot, we're not sleeping every third day. And you take your job seriously, so you're going to the gym and you're on the drill ground and you're doing forceful entry training and all these things that are breaking the muscles and the yeah, the tissues down as they're supposed to, where the repair happens to make you stronger, to make you faster, is when you sleep. So if you take your job seriously, you're, you're a tactical athlete, but you're not getting that rest and recovery, there is a higher likelihood that you're going to get hurt with all the, the best intentions. But the answer is not to not train. The answer is to increase the, the, the rest and recovery for these people. And, and, and for your example, I see this a lot in, in the chief position in fire departments where the chief has, oh, I got, I got, to, I got to monitor the radio. So they're, they're basically kept up all night. Well, why? Are you that important that the people below you don't know what the hell you're doing and you have to be a babysitter for your fire department? No, like, A, that's arrogant and B, it makes no sense. When you're needed, they'll tone you out. Turn your damn radio off and get some sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's funny there, even just the way you're, you're the way you're talking about that. And again, that that singular position taking all of the load, whether that's the chief, whether that's you know one responsible officer. Um, we hear of that a lot from a lot of our guests. You know, it's how do you and, and you know we've we've had people in the past that have that you know. They've they've forced that way that um, that uh, everything must go through them mm-hmm. kind of way. Luckily, over the past few years, especially with the help of Scott and and new officers and the way that the dynamic has changed, we've now kind of gone to almost Jocko's uh, decentralized command style, where everybody knows everyone's job, and you know everyone is they see a hole they fill it. It's that kind of it's that kind of situation as opposed to everything must get ran through this one person to make a decision it's you get to make your own choices and decisions based on the training that everybody's been through and if you haven't been through that training then make a make a decision that's based off of just common sense um and you know work within the parameters of your 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 guidelines right like and it works way better it's way way easier to get jobs done um and we're finding that you know the the workload from that has been shared dramatically it's so yeah it's been a good change for us for sure yeah i think that's where you when you hear the micromanagement that usually in my opinion what i've seen it implies a lack of training because anaheim for example was the polar opposite like the crews ran the call unless someone higher was needed and in which case they would have no problem calling it they weren't they weren't arrogant either they didn't have as false bravado but if if you're training your department well then you're trusting your firefighters. Those are the ones that, that kick in the door, you know, and go through, they go on the roof and cut holes, that, you know, cut holes in people's throats, put tubes down and put needles in their chest. If you're telling me that you can't trust them to do real menial tasks, then there's, there's a real issue. But if you haven't trained them properly, maybe that's the subtext of why you feel as an officer that you need to be there for every single time your crew goes out. But if you train them very well, you should be able to sleep well knowing but if they call you, all right, now it's go time because they need that next level for whatever reason, whether it's an IC or you know, manpower, whatever it is. But you, you should the training should be at the absolute core, and that then creates you know decentralized command. But you have to have that training first. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more, Scott. You got someone up? Yeah, I guess that brings us to. Uh, I know you had uh, 
a few episodes or several episodes, you talk about the I forget where it was, Florida, where they uh, they don't train um, when the weather is a certain temperature. Yeah, over yeah. a certain degree. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, just your thoughts on that? I, I know your thoughts on it, but <laughs> and I know my thoughts on it. Fair, fair weather, fair weather training. I think yeah. right is the. The term I think. Uh, you you said I'm not allowed to use the F word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. My my thing is exactly that. It's it's we have the pendulum. We see it all the time. The pendulum swings way too far from one end to the other. The people in the middle are, are, are looking left and right like a tennis match, going, "What the hell are you people doing?" This is the same with this. Of course, we're in Florida. If it's in the middle of a hurricane or a lightning storm, ladder training may not be applicable at that moment. But if you, and I have to be very clear, I know part of this is, is the union. Yeah. You know, people get on the union upper echelon who they themselves don't want to exercise, don't want to train, and therefore they help push these, these things forward. If you live in a state where it gets really hot like I do, or a state where it gets really cold like you guys do, and you have something in place that says you can't train if it's really hot or really cold, then shame on whoever was part of that process because, you know, that whole bleed on the fire ground so you don't, I mean, excuse me, bleed on the, the training ground so you, I got that so wrong. <laughs> on the training ground so you don't bleed on the battleground. There you yeah. go, so unlucky. Um, is, is so true. You should do more than is going to be expected of you when you're on a call. You've got a 10 story building your first year, well, you better be able to climb 20 stories, you know what I mean? So you can actually work on that 10 story. Um, so, to not be, be functioning, the big thing is at night, like hardly any departments that I've worked with before have trained at night. Well, how, you know, how often do we get a fire in the day? Not that often. So it's a totally different animal when you can't see, you know, where, where everything's dark, where you can't see the power lines, all these, these hazards. Um, and so that, that was, you know, what was disgusting for me. Yes, it's 110 degrees with the humidity. So should we be in bunker gear for two hours straight? Of course not. Do, you know, do a scenario and then go somewhere, you know, use the mistress, put cold towels on your head, whatever you need to do, be intelligent about it. Hmm. But to say don't train is the most dangerous thing we could do because as you and I both know, because I'm, I'm assuming we're all agreeing on this, what will happen is that will translate into someone getting hurt or killed on the fire ground. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the, f- I, I, I was training at one of our, uh, on the coast at uh, one of the, um, it's like a first responder uh, university sort of thing. So everybody's there, police, fire, um, paramedics, and uh, there was a snowstorm. And the next day, you know, there was six, seven inches of snow. But the next day they shut down the unit, the, the academy. And I'm like, so we're telling people that they don't have to come to work because there was snow and we're the first responders. <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, it's unsafe to drive in this weather. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> it's genius. Yeah, yeah no, it is. And then the question is, is how do you mitigate? It's, it's different, yeah. Like, when we have, you know, when we have hurricanes here, you know, there's winds where obviously it's not safe to drive the vehicles. We'll literally just get flipped over. Right. But as soon as that's done, now you have to get out there, but the roads are covered in trees. You know, you have a different scenario, but you train for that. You know, that, that's how it becomes now. You can't, you can't just assume... The same way as a perfect example, when I was taught ladders in the academy in Florida, we, just to kind of give you a visual, we do like a low shoulder carry to the wall, you butt the ladder against the wall and you know, lay it down, then you'd walk it up rung by rung, and then you'd pull it out, then you'd, uh, let me see, I think you 
you raised it first, then you'd flip it round. And, and, and when I went to California, they, they, I basically had to learn while I was hired as fast as I could because all these other Californians have been taught this different way. But you high shouldered it, you stuck the ladder, you, you, um, uh, to ground it with your, your knee and foot, you raised it, and you put it against the wall, and it was ready to climb. Hmm. And, and what it did is no matter what was in the way of a building, a curb, a hedge, a car, you could navigate that ladder where it needed to be. The way I was taught in Florida only worked in an empty fire academy building. You know, so right. again, there's that disconnection between what someone thinks is the right way and what's going to work in the real world. And if you can't, you know, use your imagination to, to train in a way that's going to hopefully give you a framework for whatever you're going to see in the real world, then you're setting your people up for failure. Yeah, <clears throat> couldn't agree with that more either. Uh, we um, we tend to talk, which is actually why we do what we do. We tend to talk about the things that we do as a rural department and what things work for us in a rural setting. It's not that they will necessarily work in a big city, but they definitely work for us in a rural setting. Um, and you you get that opportunity to to talk about those things, and you talk with someone and say, "Well, we'd never be able to do that in our area." Great, show us how you would do it, and then mm -hmm. you can take a chunk from that and and use that maybe to to change up your tactic to maybe they got something a little bit better, you know, just a touch different that would help alleviate some of the issues. Sharing the knowledge, right? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, where is that middle ground of woodwork? I never forget going to California, and that's where I learned how to do vertical ventilation. Um, we done it, we cut like one time on a pitch in my fire academy and that was it in, in the East Coast, but um, the West Coast, you know, truck company is very, very aggressive and, uh, you know, it was a very intensive year of training from building construction to different types of roofs and, you know, how you cut a trench and a heat hole and inspection holes and all these different, you know, elements that make a safe roof operation. And then when I went back to Florida, they were like, oh, we don't do that here. No, it's too dangerous. It's different construction. It's lightweight construction here. And I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? The whole building is made of wood in California. You're telling me it's more dangerous here with our brick home? And I said, and the other thing is that, so you'll put companies of, of firefighters underneath that roof, but you won't let two guys get up there and, and basically make a chimney and get off the roof. So, you know, sometimes as well, like you said, people will, will make up myths literally on why they don't do something in their area. And if you reverse engineer it, you actually find out that it probably would work very well. You've just been told we don't do that. Yeah, I think that's the old the old adage that you get in the fire service constantly. It's, you know, it's the monkeys in a cage, right? You know, two of them and there's a set of bananas hanging and you keep biting monkeys and they keep getting sprayed with water. And, you know, it's... Uh, it's just a bad, bad case scenario in that I'll, I'll, I'll post a picture. Have you, not, have you seen it? There's a whole bunch of monkeys, right? They're trying to get the banana. And then every time they try and climb the ladder to get the banana, they get sprayed with water. And then you put a new monkey in, he climbs the ladder. He gets beat up by the other monkeys. He gets beat up by the other monkeys, right? Until you don't even know why you're doing it anymore. You're just beating the monkey. That sounds like a British term. Yeah. <laughs> beating the monkey. Yeah, absolutely yeah, does. Taking the best, beating the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that kind of thing, right? Like it, people forget to ask why after a while. Uh, it's just this is how we do it. Well, if everyone needs to ask why every now and again. And speaking of uh, speaking of uh, roof ventilation, um, it's something that we we're actually creating props for now for our new burn building setup. 
um, when we actually get that portion installed. And it's going to be a, a, a newer tactic that we're going to practice because we don't do it very often. What we tend to do is we use the, the positive pressure and hydraulic ventilation kind of style, um, which works well for a lot of the rural homes that we tend to deal with. Um, mainly because a lot of them are single-level ranchers in, in the majority or trailers. Scott, you got something there? Yeah, it seems to be a, a very uh, almost Canadian thing to use the use the fan because we were just in Seattle talking to a, a, a full-time guy down there and he was actually pretty surprised because he's like, what do you guys do when it's snowy and the roof is slippery? We're like, well, same thing we do in the summertime. We use the fan. <laughs> um, and I, I think, yeah, honestly, it's it's like roof ventilation isn't a big thing up here. Um, just because we've had a lot of success with the with the fan, we obviously have to, we obviously do some roof ventilation, but yeah. it's definitely our go to is more the fan and less uh, the roof. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. When I say that's a very important point, if you've got a very steep pitched roof in an area that snows and has ice, that's a very different scenario than California, Florida. So again, like you said, you're taking the bits so in the summer. Oh, we can get on the roof. It's actually safer to, to cut a heat hole, for example, because the roof is, is good right now, but yeah, I mean, we, a fireman in Florida, or let's say, let's say Anaheim, California, can't make fun of someone in the Northeast who's got a steep pitched roof that's covered in ice saying, why aren't you cutting a heat hole? Yeah. You know, it's a very different animal. But like you said, we can learn from each other and be, all right, which element of this does work? But for the fireman in Florida, the other hot place that has no so, to say, oh, that'll never work here, that's where you're like, no, that's, that's apples and apples. Right. You're completely wrong. You, you need to, you need to, Find out who started telling you that, slap them in the face, and then start doing it differently. <laughs> you know, if you, if you build a fireplace in a house, I'm pretty sure you're going to put a chimney in there. It's yeah. the same exact concept. So if you're going to put firefighters under that roof, then train your people to safely and efficiently identify which roofs need to be vented. And if they do, then get people on, cut a hole as quickly as possible, you know, sounding properly, get the hell off the roof, don't stand up there and, and, and you know, um, show off as it were but you will see that your firemen inside your firefighters will be amazed how quickly those conditions change and we talk all the time about it's about them it is about them we're trying to save people but the sooner we get all that crap from inside that house out of that house the more likely it is someone's going to survive i think that's uh, a really good point um if you look at like the YouTube warriors, I mean, we get a lot of training ideas from YouTube. It, it's great. Uh, the video content that's out there is amazing. Um, but the downside of that is you can see a thousand firefighters falling through a roof. Um, and that scares a lot of less aggressive departments away from doing it. And that's not why we, we don't lean towards it. It's our area and what works for us. But when you see the, the negatives of, you know, roof collapses and those firefighters being up there. I mean, we posted a video the other day. And like, why are you going up? Like, it's self-venting. It was, it was a completely separate roof structure, and they were still going up there to cut a hole. Like, and, you have no business being there. And hanging out up there. I yeah. think, like, the key thing you said was that you, you cut it and get down. Yeah, <laughs> you know, go up, up there. there. Yeah. You do your job. Yeah, well, then... our, brothers, our brothers in L.A., less than brothers and sisters, they, when I worked in California, they were notorious for cutting their holes and just standing there leaning on their pipe pole. Yeah, so... <laughs> Or the, or the roof hooks, you know, not everyone, but there were videos again. But there's a video of one of my captains in Anaheim falling through a roof, and he, you see, he didn't sound. He went farming, as they call it, you know. So, the, the, usually when things happen, like you said, it's the wrong roof, it's self-ended, um, you know, or 
or you're not following the procedures. You're not cutting your heat holes and you're smoking the heat holes and you're not sounding on the way there and you're not following the structural mem- you know, members. And so that's usually when we see these issues. The tile roofs are not breaking through. The, 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 um, yeah, the beams underneath have already gone through. Right. So we can normally, you know, Monday morning quarterback it, but then again, and then learn from it. So you know what? That was wrong. You're yes, they shouldn't have been up there. So how are we going to do it differently? Not, oh, well then screw it. There's clearly vertical ventilation dangerous. Because when you look at statistics of how many people actually fall through a roof, you know, versus, for example, heart attacks, wrecks, it's, it's, it's very, very small. And if we can then work out what went wrong on the ones that we do see, then we can make it even smaller. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, I think <clears throat> one of the key points we've all touched on here a couple of times now is uh, the word aggressive. Um, aggressive being, well, for us, aggressive, the term doesn't necessarily mean that we're we're doing things unsafe. half-heartedly or unsafely. Yes, thanks. Go. Yeah, it's it's not unsafe. Aggressive does not mean unsafe um, in our in our eyes anyway. Um, and also, especially with that hard training kind of style and frame of mind, there, I'd love to get your opinion on what aggressive means to you. From what I can see, I think um, we should all be you know, aggressive. Um, because I think aggressive is just uh, speed, isn't it, really? I mean, you know, if you see someone dawdling, dragging their heels, and, you know, taking five minutes to charge a hose line, that's not aggressive. Mm. But running into a fully involved warehouse with no reports of any entrapment is just stupid. That's not aggressive, you know mm. what I mean? So, to me, um, aggressive is, is more like the. the the special operations field referred to like slow is smooth, smooth is uh, smooth. Yeah, just slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Is that right? Yeah, I think right. it is. Yeah, so yeah that's one of Scott's favorite lines. <laughs> Say again. That's uh, it's one of Scott's favorite lines. Oh, okay, there we go. Good. <laughs> I don't want to butcher it there. <laughs> um, as you can tell, I'm not very good at remembering sayings because that's the second one I butchered already. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but it's it's that. So aggressive is. Being ready to do what needs to be done, but it doesn't mean going into every damn structure fire. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, we see these these buildings where the bedroom door was closed, and they're like, shit, you know, the rest of the room, was, was the rest of the house is charred, and that one bedroom was, was safe. That's incredible. But again, does that mean go through the front door where the fireball is, or should you VES? Should you be checking each room from the outside, right. you know? So... Um, I think there's a big misconception, like everyone like deploying that people uh, hit it hard from the yard. Well, if it's a bowling alley and no one's in there, then absolutely I'm going to stay outside. What are you going to go save? There's a ball, yeah. you know? So um, uh, I think that there's a misconception where that, that word is used incorrectly. Every firefighter should be aggressive. That means that when you show up, you're going you're gonna to get the job done with a certain pace, a certain sense of urgency. But if you disregard the whole reason we're doing it, the whole ratio where the, the goal is to save lives and you start running into places where you're putting your crew in danger, then that's not aggressive, that's stupidity. And I know there's a fine line sometimes in some of the, the things that we run on, but it's very easy to become moths to the flame and, you know, and save something that really is just a bunch of stuff that's insurable and, you know, getting firefighters killed in the process. So, like, navigating that, I think, is where aggressive is understanding. An aggressive firefighter understands when to go in and when to fall back and be defensive and, and not, you know, let their ego settle down and sit on that damn, you know, um, master nozzle, master stream, and, and just put the fire out from the outside because it's basically a giant dumpster by that point. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's that um, the aggressive sometimes gets deemed is stupidity uh, or like it's just dangerous. And it's it's not the case. Again, if you have well-educated firefighters that are trained properly, they are thinkers, self-thinkers. Um, aggressive at that point is not aggressive in the sense of stupidity. Mm. It's just that here we are in a situation, I'm going to apply my training and I'm going to apply my experience to this and I have to do this. And from somebody on the outside who doesn't know the tactics or training, it looks it looks dangerous. It can look aggressively mm-hmm. and it can look stupid, but ultimately it's not necessarily the case. I think for us, yeah. one of the, the key things that um, works for our success is having that uh, you know chief or captain that's able to step back and detach from the scene. So while, yes, you have firefighters that are in there acting in an aggressive manner, having that de- that detached view um, really still gives you that, that safety eye from the outside, um, where if, if something does change, then you can start to throttle that, that back. Show up with the aggressive mindset, but then have the ability to step it back when things change. Yeah. Yeah. And then conversely, what I've seen, so I've been pulled out of a building, which we were about to knock down, but again, taking a step back, we weren't saving anything in that fire. So, mm. you know, I know it was our egos and we we're like, oh, we we're almost done. This is stupid. Um, but reality was, it was, it was the building that's going to be bulldozed and eventually anyway, it was so badly burned. Um, but then on, on the other side of the spectrum, I think where the aggressive thing gets gets some support is we've also worked on those fire grounds where they've been ridiculously um, not ridiculously safe. You can't be too safe, but but um, tentative, like too scared to even be aggressive, which actually makes the fire ground more dangerous than because you are not addressing the problem. Mm-hmm. You get on that roof, you know, you throw a ladder, get on the roof cut a hole and get the hell off. You, 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 know, you, you force entry, you go in, you go to the seat of the fire and you put the damn fire out. That's how you mitigate, that's how you make it safe. But then you start pissing lines through windows and you know, say, oh, you can't go on the roof, it's too dangerous. Now you've just endangered everyone and you have cost that family, the dog, the, the, the photo albums, whatever it is that you could have saved if you'd been safely aggressive. Yeah, yeah, so I couldn't agree more. Yeah, there's times like we'll send guys in to kind of like probe, like go in like 10 feet, see what you got. And they're like, come out like, nope, starting to starting to collapse. Or, so we'd pull them out, right? Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be one gear aggressive or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's no, what comes exactly. I mean, it, it should be up and down. You should be able to, to crank it up. And then, like you said, something changes. You know, a raster breaks. You're like, oh, shit, get everyone out. You know, it, it, it looked fine up to that point. I've been on fires where they're, they're being reroutes. So the roof you're looking at isn't the roof. Yeah. So it might look amazing, but the one underneath is about to burn through. You know. So mm-hmm. absolutely, you've got to you've got to have the humility to be able to go from you know defensive to offensive or offensive to defensive. When, and then, like you said, if you've got an officer that you respect in a department that values training, and officers that have, in my opinion, have done the job as well, which is extremely important. When I can think of certain chiefs, when they tell me to get out, I shut my mouth and I get the hell out because I know they know more than me. Yeah. The, uh, it's, yeah, one of those situations, because we talk about aggressive quite often. We try to be an aggressive department. And again, not unsafe, aggressive in the way that 
We're there to do a job. Let's move with purpose. Let's get this thing done as quick as possible in the safest way possible and do what we can to save everything that we can save in the safest way possible for our guys as well as the people that potentially are inside or you know on either of the any of the exposures so it, it's good it's good to get your opinion on it too uh, especially you know having been through you know 14 15 years yourself four different paid departments is good and again you kept saying the word so i like it i like the sound of it as well um so I, I wanted to touch as well a little bit on hard training because I know that um, hard training is something that you are definitely an advocate of. We, we kind of briefly touched on it earlier. Um, hard training, what do you feel like the 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 main kind of aspect of hard training is um, and what do you see the benefit uh, the benefits of for it? Yeah, okay. I, I, I refer to it more like real, realism in training. So for example, my last department, you know, there was there was a, a, a resistance to a lot of the, the physical stuff, and yet my station sat next to a twenty eight, actually, well, twenty nine if you count the roofs, twenty nine story hotel. So to me, you know, there's a, a little boy, Chucky uh, Jukes, who passed away. He's a little son of a, a fireman um, in Hawaii, and so we put a fundraiser together and did what we call the Truckers Challenge. So I put together a scenario which then you know, made a, a, a fundraiser, an awareness thing, as well as a training opportunity, where we climbed all the way to the top with full high-rise strips, so full bunker gear, tools, um, spare bottles, and a high-rise pack between two of us. And that's not, <laughs> there's nothing abnormal about that at all. That's what you would need to make entry to uh, you know, a room on the 28th floor, for example. And so, was it hard? Absolutely, it was hard. 28 floors and end up being like 100 pounds of equipment. Um, but that's what it takes. That's what you signed up for. You said you wanted to be a firefighter. So, to me, it's, it's realism. Just, just like you guys, if, if we did a whole bunch of, um, you know, training on, on hurricanes and, and, you know, heat exhaustion, how pertinent would that be? That would be hard, but it may not be as pertinent for you. Um, whereas, yeah, if I train my Florida guys in ice rescues, what would be the point? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's about the realism, and the realism is hard. Extrication in Florida heat sucks. You know, confined space, um, you know, elevator rescues, all these things, but they all require fitness. They all require strength. Um, and the, what I found in in the fire service, and again, is kind of post Anaheim, so the, the time back in Florida is there's a real aversion to realism in training. Even MCIs, you go there and there's a, a school bus with five mannequins on it. Mm. That's not, that's, I mean, it's an MCI if, you, if you're you know, working in a volunteer department you show up on your own, but for a large department I work for, an MCI scenario should be 100 you know, patients, you know, a, a complete cluster. So that's, that's where I think we do ourselves a disservice. I think you know, the, the administrations we work for, the unions sometimes, is that lowering that bar is setting us up for failure. So I think that, and every single member of the special operations, um, you know, law enforcement, everyone I've had on the show pretty much has said the same thing. You need to train for worst case scenario. Even the MMA guys, men and women, yeah, they, they say so many times, you know, the, the training is far worse than being in the octagon, being in the cage, being in the boxing ring. Because that's where you forge, you know, your resilience. So the, the goal is that when you actually run that call, you never really encounter any any kind of level that you're not used to. 
So if your only PT you ever do with a firefighter is, is the elliptical for 20 minutes, <laughs> then you get banged out on a structure fire, you know, the top of a, let's say the Grenfell fire in London, then you're, you're going to be fucking useless. Excuse my language. You're going to be useless. <laughs> you know, so that's my whole thing with this. It's not trying to be, I'm not saying that firefighters should deadlift 400 pounds. The firefighters should be able to run a triathlon in full. That, that's not pertinent to what we do. But the firefighters sure as hell be able to, you know, carry their gear to wherever this fire is going to be and operate and facilitate a rescue. And a big thing I talk about a lot as well is you also need to be able to pull out the heaviest firefighter on your department. Now, is that always fair? <laughs> because the heaviest firefighter in my department, I mean, no disrespect, he was a good, you know, good friend, but he was 350 pounds. I'm 170. You know, but there's that element too. So you've got to think of that. Oh, you know, this would never happen, wouldn't it? Yeah. Your your best friend who happens to be very large with his gear and his pack and he's down in the fire and you you can't pull him out because you never train. You know? So the, the the thing that I that always strikes me is I know that um, John Spear and some of those guys talk about, would you want you rescuing you? <laughs> well, I like a slightly different approach. Would you want you rescuing your family? Or to flip it around even more, how would you feel if your family died because the rescuer hadn't trained? Like you knew that your family were on that floor and they tapped out three floors below because they were too tired. You know, so that's what keeps me going. I, I struggle to find, to understand why other first responders aren't able to see the same thing because lives depend on what we do. So, you know, if it's not for you, then, you know, get a desk job. That sounds harsh, but so finding that happy medium between sensible, realistic training with good rehab, good recovery, and reining in the guys that want to turn it into Murph every single day um, is is where that should be. So not hard training, but realistic. Simulate the worst case scenario of any cause that you could run. Absolutely, mate. Couldn't agree more. Um, and on that kind of side of fitness as well, um, I understand that you are also a uh, jiu-jitsu advocate. Um, how long have you been doing that for now? Um, so I've been doing it for, I started jiu-jitsu in um, California, so that would have been, God, 12 years ago. But what happened, I um, I started training with Shootbox. And if you ever remember them from UFC, but it was like Mandalay yeah. Silver and all those guys were out of there. And um, they started a gym in L.A. I think it was only up for like a year or so. And I've never been part of anything that was so close to Fight Club, even though I know the first rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only talk about Fight Club. <laughs> but it was literally, you just went in there, you got the shit kicked out of you for two hours, and then you went home. And so I wouldn't say I learned a lot other than they definitely toughened me up in some ways, but it also gave me like, you know... Uh, Death in one ear and broke my nose and all kinds of other stuff. So that was uh, that was um, definitely uh, my first intro. But then I really got back into it several years later in Orlando. The Jungle MMA gym is a great, great gym, um, and trained there. But again, as, as we were saying before, um, shift work, paramedic school, that all kind of got in the way. And so I, I felt like an awful jujitsu student because it's been you know, one step forward, three steps back. Um, so I, I got my blue belt under Mike at um, the jungle and then there's been another long period of really not doing a whole lot um, but I'm about to start with my little boy my son Ty he's been doing it for five and a half years um, since he was six um, 
And so we're about to change schools in, in Gainesville and start again. So I'm kind of, I told the guy in the new place, I'm like, treat me as a brand new white belt because I feel like I still have some fundamentals that I need to yeah. to get back before I feel like I'm worthy of the, the blue belt. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great, great art. And, and you know, I know we're going to talk about it, but I'm a huge, huge proponent of it for law enforcement. I think it's great for, for firefighters too and, and, and medics because sometimes we have to hold people down. They're trying to hurt us, but especially the law enforcement side, you know, to not have to resort to a taser immediately um, because you have the skills to, to hold someone down, I think is, is so important. It should be you know, part of the curriculum, I think, to be a police officer. Yeah, I know. Uh, I was down, I went to LA twice to do the, uh, the Gracie survival tactics training down there and, uh, for law enforcement. And then they, and they opened it up for, uh, first responders, um, because of the, you know, sometimes you're the, you're the first person there, no police around mm-hmm. and the guy's going crazy. And, and for safety of the crew, you may have to just pin him down and you can't be seen on, on YouTube punching some dude out. Um, <laughs> you know, there's that kind of famous video that was out last year of the guy, the, they had the car fire and the guy's swinging at the, the, uh, I think he was a truck officer cause he didn't have any turnout gear on and he ended up doing a, a nice double leg takedown and, and, uh, kind of taking the guy down and pinning him to the ground. It was perfect. That was great. I saw that one. I was cheering like a little, little cheerleader with yeah. my pom pom. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sweet. Yeah, oh, was great. <laughs> ducked clean I under. I had uh, Ben Vernon on, who um, was one of the two San Diego medics that was stabbed by a bystander on, on a medical call. So, uh-huh. you know, you, you do, you know, I mean, yeah, of course, we're not required to be Bruce Lee, but I mean, any human being, the more training you can have in, in protecting yourself your family the better I mean that's just a, a common sense thing yeah and it keeps you in shape too it's, it's great it's like a dual purpose thing yeah and like you said you, you can you can hold someone down without pummeling them because as you know you, they, they arrive on scene police officers arrive on scene and this guy's covered in blood you look like the assailant then yeah whereas if he's just asleep you're like I don't know what happened he just took a nap <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I think yeah, for for me it helped add that um, it, some inoculation to that that pressure as well. Like being in a real awkward, uncomfortable, sometimes painful situation while Scott's ramming his knuckle into your rib cage. Um, <laughs> lies. Um, that kind of that that pressure that you're getting, you're having to deal with, you're trying to control your breathing, you're still trying to maneuver, you're playing that mind mental chess game of where do I go, where's he gonna go? And it you're, it constantly allows you to think and really you need to break everything down and go slow. Again, it's that slow is smooth, smooth is fast, but just trying to figure out that under pressure, you need to do something and because you can't just stay there, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting, uh, being, uh uncomfortable being uncomfortable yeah is, is really good yeah, yeah. well that, that's the thing that translates so so well to the fire service and I've talked about that with CrossFit too like I go now because I'm lucky I get to, to be at home every day um, I train four or five times a week um, and you know some days are more like active recovery days but some days are those awful shitty workouts and it's the same with jiu-jitsu sometimes you're just doing a nice gentle roll sometimes you're doing more of a a mall in a good way, not trying to, you know, like jack each other up, but being comfortable, you know, getting comfortable being uncomfortable is so important because when you are, you know, five floors up and you're trying to force that door and you realize it's a metal door, but there's someone behind it or, you know, 
God forbid there is a collapse and you are getting kind of smushed, you know, the more uncomfortable you can get in some, not all, some of your training, you know, uh, whether it's collapse mazes or whatever it is, again, the more effective you're going to be, the more calm you're going to be, the more air you're going to be able to keep in your SCBA because you're not panicking. And I think jiu-jitsu, crossfit, um, you know, mud runs, all these, these fun ways of getting outside your comfort zone are so pertinent to what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So, <clears throat> just to, and then we're going to flick back over um, to the to the firefighter side here with that. Now, obviously, you've 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 been in the paid service for uh, for a considerable amount of years with the with fourteen to fifteen under your belt um, through four different departments. You you've seen some you've seen some shit. Now, on that as well. You've obviously heard the, or maybe you haven't, probably have though, the, the kind of the differences that some people feel between the volunteer firefighter and the paid firefighter. Um, I'm just wondering what your your outlook and your perspective is on a paid and a volley guy. Well, clearly career firefighters are superior because we get paid for it. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus, but 
but ultimately they protect life, the lives of humans and then ideally the animals as well. But if we deviate from that, all of a sudden we start thinking we're better than each other because of, you know, of a pay classification, then again, it's time to, to, to check your ego and, and question why you have that philosophy in the first place. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, you know, you, you're, you're trying Again, you're part of all these different communities and you're reading all these comments and things on Facebook. And I know everyone always says you should never read the comments, but it really does pour you into this kind of, there's these people that pour you into these different molds and, and whether or not you're paid, you're volley, you're, you're on call, we're all doing the same job. The only difference between whether or not, you know, you, you get a paycheck or not, that, that doesn't matter. It's, are you doing the job? Are you doing it efficiently? And are you doing it safely? And is it working? Because if it's not and you're lazy and all this shit's garbage, then why are you doing it in the first place and taking up a seat? There's a whole bunch more people that would like to take those seats, especially when it comes to paid departments and paid positions. Don't be lazy. Uh, just ask the questions, do the thing, learn, adapt, and and really start to take your job seriously when it comes to these things because your ass is on the line and so is everyone else's. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, no, and I, I use the, you know, a couple of examples as well when we're talking about comments. And, you know, luckily, I'm so lucky now. I've, I guess over the last few years, I've managed to refine my social media where I just don't see that stuff anymore. Because if I see post, people post negative shit, I just block them. You know, right, we're done. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's, you know, life's too short for that. But when, you know, when I've, for example, read something that's on someone else's page and I start seeing people touching themselves about pistol grips. Oh, look at pistol grips, I wouldn't see dead, or, or European helmets. Yep. Well, I hate to tell you, but European helmets are better than ours. Ours were invented in the 1920s. Yep. Time they fucking moved on. <laughs> so, pistol grip, have you had them on some of the nozzles? You know what, the fire still went out. Yep. You know, do I want a fog nozzle on the, on the 27th floor of a high rise? Of course not, that's just common sense. Will a fog nozzle put out a fire on the ground floor or second floor? It has every time I have in 14 years. <laughs> you know, so they're focusing on these tiny little minutia. You know, it's like in the gun community. You say, see the same thing. Oh, I've never been caught dead carrying a Glock. Well, does it shoot people in the face? Then it's probably going to work just fine. You know? What you should probably work on is the fact that you're 400 pounds and maybe you should learn how to have the energy to run across the parking lot before you use that gun. You know what I mean? So... There's, there's, I think people that focus on this, these keyboard warriors, are doing that because they're hiding behind the fact that they don't know shit about many areas of the job. Like the same with the medical stuff. These, these heroes that talk about, oh, I'm not going to do EMS, I just do fire. You know, that are in departments that are supposed to do both. And then you tell, all right, all right, Rockstar, you just did a right-hand search, you pulled out the baby, and you just lay it there steaming on the grass. Now what? That baby died, you just basically did a body recovery because you didn't have the fucking humility to learn how to be a good uh, EMT or medic, you know, so that's my thing, is, is all that is, is distraction and it screams I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about when you start doing that keyboard warrior shit. Yeah, yeah absolutely, I can hear your passion in it mate I agree, like it's just you get... <laughs> Did I say the F word again? <laughs> that's alright mate, that's all good um, No, it's, it's, good. it's good that you're passionate about it people need to be, um, it is important it's very important and you're right, but a lot of people take these comments to heart. They take it seriously. I look at it as a view, uh, a view into the world of the minds of people that uh, 
again like you said are just full of shit for the majority you know you read them you just go wow and how long did you say you were in the service you kind of just do a little click on their profile and there's their uh, the glory shot with the helmet and uh it's like wow like you're you're it just it baffles me it baffles me every time mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. And you, you could have you could have 25 years on Mm. But again, I mean, again, I need I mean no disrespect, and I talk about this a lot in the in, in the podcast about elements of our job that make it harder to stay in shape. You know, the injuries, the sleep deprivation causes weight gain, all these other things. But if you're the guy that's yapping off, and you're also deconditioned, and you know you're not training, then again, you, I don't care if you got forty years in the fire service. If you haven't done a damn thing with it, then you're still a piece of shit. And you could have three years on the fire service and take your job seriously and, and be you know, admirable. And I will go take classes under you. You know what I mean? So it's about the individual. But if you're spending your time spreading hate and ridiculing people, when you could be spending that time learning and making yourself better, then you need to ask yourself, am I using my time wisely or am I becoming a, a cancer in the fire service? Yeah, copy that. Absolutely. So I guess as well, so let's let's just kind of go over as well now, because obviously, you know, we really appreciate the fact that you've come on to our podcast. Um, we've been running now for about a year and a bit. Um, ours is doing fairly well. Um, we got a, a nice following, solid group of people that, uh, that tend to reach out, comment, you know, and, and uh, discuss stuff, which is really nice. The community is really starting to grow. And you had mentioned obviously banning people from your page that were sour and salty. So let's talk a little bit about um, your your work and what you do and uh, your podcast and why you started it because your message is a little bit different to ours in the sense of, of what you're what you focus on so I think our listeners would definitely get a kick out of listening if again like I said they're not already seeing as you've been in the game for multiple years now so tell us a little bit about that James yeah well thank you now firstly this has been fun being on your podcast so I've really enjoyed it you guys have got a great podcast as well um, thanks mate so the reason, the reason I started it was about five years ago now, we had just a horrendous couple of years where I think we buried six firefighters in, in two years. And it was from a, a spectrum of things. There was you know heart, heart attack, there was cancer, there was autoimmune disease, there was a suicide, there was an overdose. I mean, just, but what it made me realize is that there is no one thing. We always talk about, oh, it's cancer that kills the firefighters. And then the heart attacks, normally you're kind of thinking of the, 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 the less um, in shape men and women that are out there. Um, so honestly, I, I initially went on, I loved podcasts, I listened to Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss and Barbell Shrugged and a couple others. And uh, I was like, all right, let me find a good wellness podcast. I want to start listening as, a, as an audience member to some solutions that are pertinent to the tactical community. And when I looked, I, I didn't find anything. And, and again, I don't want to be rude, but I just have to kind of illustrate kind of what this landscape was. There was one well-known podcast in our profession and they had a guest on and they were supposedly the expert in, in you know, nutrition and all this stuff. And listening to that, listening to the response was, it just showed me that, you know, the, the, one of the problems that we have is we'll send someone to a, you know, a weekend seminar and they come back and now they're a peer fitness trainer or, you know, whatever it was. And I, I, I'd been an athlete my whole life. I've gone through exercise physiology in London and in, in um, the University of London. 
when I got my degree here in the University of Florida, um, my bachelor's. And again, none of those, I'm not masquerading as, as an expert, but I've been coaching for a long time. And so as I knew what I was looking for as, as real knowledge, really good coaches, nutritionists, all that stuff. And I knew they existed, but, uh, you know, they were in other fields. So I've, I, when I was looking for this podcast, when I couldn't find one, I'm like, all right, well, then I guess it's the sign to take all these people that I know about being in the, the wellness space and pick their brains from the first responder perspective because no one seems to do it, especially with the fire department. I think there are people who are doing it in, in law enforcement. Um, the squad room is a good one with Garrett Shaw for, for law enforcement. Um, but I was also coming in from a different way. Garrett, was, was his journey was regaining his health. and It's really interesting hearing that way. Mine was more, you know, I was a competitive martial artist and all this stuff, so it was more like, okay, I understand fitness, but I, I want to take the brains of these great people and apply it to, to what we do. Um, so it's a very kind of long, drawn-out process. So what started off bringing the wellness stuff in then started expanding because nothing is black and white. Everything overlaps. So the mental health, you know, I started learning about sleep deprivation. And, um, that was one of the first topics that we touched. Um you know, you realize, okay, well, then nutrition plays in, then exercise plays in, then mental practice, you know, mindfulness plays in. But then there were also these amazing men and women that had these incredible stories, you know, amputees, and, and uh, I had a boy soldier from Sierra Leone and that are just inspirational that show you can overcome adversity, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, you know, losing family members, whatever it is. So that then started to expand out even more. So the core, really, of the podcast is, is kindness and compassion because I was sick and tired of watching folded flags being given to grieving widows and, you know, helmets given to their children and just, you know, it's heartbreaking. So um, that's the core of what it is. So, yes, there are firefighters on there, but there are also Navy SEALs and Green Berets and authors and ex-convicts and, you know, people from all over the world, experts in sleep deprivation and, I mean, just everyone on there. So I'm trying to pull this library, like I said, it's free for everyone on planet Earth where instead of getting, you know, the only perspective on wellness coming from the IAFS, and again, I've been a union member my whole life, but you have to get outside the echo chamber. Now we're getting it from the, you know, the people who train the world's fittest people on the planet or, you know, who, who consult with NASA or, you know, uh, top Gun pilots, whatever it is, and it's so fascinating because all these circles start intersecting, and you see that middle ground where you know it's common sense nutrition, common sense exercise, and then even the leadership. You know, it's it's that you, you know, if in our space, you have to train the way you're going to fight. So that was the whole point for me, and it, so it's not specifically a firefighter podcast, even though we do discuss a lot of fire service stuff. It's trying to do this like we talked about earlier. We are men and women who took an oath to, you know, save lives, put our, um, you know, put complete strangers' well-being ahead of ours sometimes, but we're also human beings. And that's the side that I try and do is the human being experience from a firefighter's perspective. Solid, solid explanation, and I I couldn't agree more. From listening to you again, I love the way that uh, in in every one of your episodes, again, there's that relatability back to the back to the the fire scene and back to um, back to how it you can take 
any set of, of rules that some someone has created for themselves and apply them to the fire grain to make yourself better. And uh, every episode you do that with everyone that comes on, it doesn't matter who they are, there's always some takeaway um, that you can apply um, to to the fire grain or to you as a person to help you become a better person just as a person um, to be able to either do your job or just live your life. It's a, it's a really important, um, really important messages that you share. And, uh, I appreciate it greatly because you've definitely helped affect and change my life, um, in the ways that, again, you've discussed certain things and, uh, and helped change those thought processes from others that wouldn't necessarily think that they are affecting or could affect the fire service. Um, but, you know, as soon as you twist that message around and make it make it viable for us, it really makes a lot of sense. So again, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you, mate. I mean, again, like I said, it's 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 trying to learn from other people, and, and we we are jack of all trades, master of none. That's what makes the job so attractive, in my opinion. You never know what's going to happen, but we. You know, what, what's the? I'm going to push you this thing as well now. Um, <laughs> firefighters. Um, oh God. Hate change and uh, hate things the way they are and hate change. Yeah, two things they hate. Yeah, two things they hate. Two things they hate are the way it is and the way it's changed. Scott's butchering it too. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just stop. (laughs) So so the answer to me was, that's right, we do. So let's ask someone else. You know, let's look outside of our our field. So I'm so glad that you you kind of had that. And I think the other thing is as well, and I hope this comes across. Is it's not me. I'm not. I'm just asking questions. I'm bringing the people that I admire who are also changing my life. Like I, every every element of my life has been affected by you know one or more of the guests in that topic. So um, you know, I I, I don't want to be. I don't want to come across, and I hope it doesn't. Like I have all the answers because I don't. I'm I'm a perpetual student, and I'm um, curious, which is why I love having these men and women on. So. Um, I think there's, there's a huge amount of information that needs to be heard that, that is pertinent to every single person on planet Earth. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I guess uh, we're going we're gonna to come down to the end now. I think we're running up on our time. I just got one last question for you there. Um, now, knowing, again, what we do and a little bit of who we are and, you know, the kind of the kind of way that we do things. I'm just wondering, is there anybody that you could think of or you would recommend potentially um, that would would be a good uh, good fit to come on and have a chat with our audience about uh, about something that we could apply them uh, apply to the fire service. I honestly think I'd say my first person um, two that I love to recommend. People say you can only recommend two podcasts. Um, there are so many people on there, and as soon as you listen to those two, I'll give you a million more. But because they were on very early, is uh, Dustin Hawkins, who is a good friend of mine. A very, very powerful story on the mental health side. Um, so I could definitely ask him. And then, um, Kurt Parsley was a Navy SEAL who first, like, made me realize about, um, sleep deprivation. Um, and again, it doesn't matter if you volunteer career, paid on call, you know, the spouse of, you know, it's just anyone on planet Earth. Um, if you are not educated on the effects of sleep deprivation, you will be completely blindsided by, um, you know, issues that you have no idea where they're coming from. As soon as you start understanding the absolute dire importance of sleep, 
you'll start identifying in every element of your life and then certainly if you're up at the top of the chain um, of you know a department realize what it's doing to your men and women it should make you rethink about you know some of the areas that you can improve a perfect example um, is if you have a station with multiple rigs and you turn out the whole station for every single call that's a lunacy you know what I mean so when you realize how important sleep is and you can get a tone system where either you have a different room for each crew or at least the, the, the systems where it just kind of tones off by the bed so you don't have to wake the entire bunk room, it may cost a little bit more, but when you realize how higher the incidence of all these diseases are from people who sleep deprived, you know, you'll realize the value of that. So I would say those would be two people I could definitely help um, connect you to both of those. Yeah, that'd be fantastic and greatly appreciate. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, the the both of that sounds fantastic. The sleep deprivation thing again is something that I'm definitely going to look into more now. I've I've heard um, a few of your episodes on it, and uh, you know, again, it's education is key for all of us on all different levels of what we do. So, yeah, that would be fantastic. Great. Brilliant. I will work on that for you. Nice one, chap. Uh, James, I gotta say again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I, I don't think actually once <laughs> during this entire thing um, we have mentioned that you are the host of the Behind the Shield podcast, um, and that is my failure as a terrible host. But um, the James Gearin Behind the Shield, uh, he is available on all of the different social media platforms, um, and you can definitely listen to. You're up to, I think, 270-something now podcasts, I believe? Uh, yeah, 275. There you go. There you go. You're only 200 ahead of us. We're, we're coming. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while, though. I mean, that's three years, and the first year was once a week, and then I, I got it up to twice a week just because, just like I was saying, there's so many amazing people out there with answers. I felt like it was too slow, so I, it's a lot of work, but I did, it went twice a week, and that's... That's a good pace for me, but again, you know, like I said, I'm I'm able to do this full time at the moment, so. so yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate your work, mate. We really appreciate what you're trying to do for the fire service and for for everyone, people people individually as well as not not just necessarily people that are firefighters, all uh, all people, all aspects, all walks of life. So thank you very much for taking the opportunity to um, to come and talk to our people, and thanks very much for um, for the work that you're doing for everyone. Appreciate. Well, thank you. Well, thank you as well, because you guys have stepped up. You know, no one asked you to do this, you know, and, and, and you realize it needs to be done. And I think that's it. Is um, There's a lot of people that we talked about with the trolling and everything else that will um, point out where everyone's doing it wrong rather than look for an area they can make right and bring a solution. So I'd say thank you for also you know, doing that same thing that I did and just finding an area that needs needs help and and just acting on it and putting all that free content out for everyone listening to. We appreciate that, mate. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Okay, James, thank you again for your time. No worries. Cheers. Take, take care, mate. Stay safe. Bye. Man, uh, that was awesome. I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, that was really, really phenomenal. Uh, wealth of knowledge well, and a wealth of passion. I think that's what's really coming through there is... Um, just that uh, passion behind what he's doing uh, was really, really easy to see. 
Hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a great, great guy. Very inspirational, and uh, definitely is out there trying to do some good things for the service. So if mm-hmm. you do have time, again, like I said, hundred uh, percent, go check him out. He has something for everyone, and uh, especially when it comes to that health and wellness, and uh, and the kindness factors behind what we're trying to do. To remember that we're people as well, and our yeah. guys deserve the respect and uh, you know the the health benefits um, of of living a healthy lifestyle and being being the right kind of person for yourself as well as everyone else while you're trying to do your job. So, yeah. Uh, Ash, without further ado, let's roll into the outro. What we got? Uh, We're going to do some shout-outs quick here. We're going to shout-out to Modus. Um, We mention every week. Uh, We've been working with them for about a year now, uh, testing uh, their products, uh, utilizing their products now uh, on our personal gear. Um... And beyond, we will uh, have some video. Well, Buzz Lightyear over? Can't- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Person here and beyond. It's, uh, uh, there's there's some some pretty cool stuff coming down the pipe from them. So uh, keep looking for that. We're uh, shooting some video content to show uh, uh, just some, some things that we like about their product. So we'll be releasing that uh, as soon as they basically give us the go-ahead. So check them out. Uh, the Snyder Tools, they're, they're, they're big claim to fame, um, but they also have a ton of other things, wedges. Um, uh, they got some uh, uh, mini spanners. They've got some uh, gas shut-off valve tools. They, they, yeah, I mean, just go and check check those guys out. Uh, Modus, uh, they have extended a discount for all of our listeners at DTFF5, uh, which will give you 5% off anything that you purchase. So, yeah, great guys. Check them out. Happy days. Mm-hmm. Uh, RZ masks, we like them. They do the good. Uh, they get. They do the deed for us for sure. Um, great for um, you know being around areas that are not in direct IDLH. Um, but when you need just a little bit of extra protection, um, an SCBA maybe isn't required. Uh, good for good for grass fires things like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, grab yourself one. Uh, M ones is what we have. We like the neoprene, especially when it gets to this kind of a season. It's cold keeps your face warm and uh, helps retain some of that heat while you're right there. Um, We use the F3 filters and uh, those are the highest grade um, filters that you can get for them currently. And they do the trick, at least Mm -hmm. so far so good. So if you would like to pick yourself up one, you can grab one from their website and you can use the code DTFF and you can save yourself 30% on your order. So, uh, yeah, check them out. Grab yourself one. They are pretty cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we'll uh, shout out to our uh, East Coast American counterparts, uh, Brotherhood Academy Radio Podcast. Um, we shout them out every week. Uh, they lovely do the same for us, which we appreciate. Um, yeah, they're very, very similar group. Um, as, as they say, a group of salty guys that just get out there and get after it. Um, aggressive firefighters. We we always hit on that aggressive so that's not scared to go move with a purpose and get after it um doesn't mean unsafe so check those guys out they're on all the social media platforms um yeah really good group yeah and then we have uh stop the bleed uh stop the bleed again scott and todd uh, push this they train this quite often we push it as a podcast as well and as a group to anybody who will listen it is important it's not just for EMS it's for everyone everyone should need uh, everyone knows 
needs to know, sorry, how uh, how this works and what to do in these situations because it, you never know when it's going to happen. You know, you're out chopping mm-hmm. wood, you're you're walking through the woods, you know, you, you fall, you slip, you trip, and all of a sudden you got a branch through your leg. If you're carrying your tourniquet and you know what to do and you know how self-application works, then uh, then you can definitely get those things together and uh, and and at least save yourself um, potentially a worse situation. So check okay. them out, stopthebleed.org um, and then bleedingcontrol.org as well. Um, and then, yeah, get a, get a class, do a lesson, mm-hmm. teach it, learn, become a teacher. Absolutely. Important message. Yeah. Uh, next, we're going to go up to uh, a new relationship that we are forming right now with Ignition USA. So we were down in Seattle. Um, we were down there to see Jocko, but as well, while we were there, we managed to secure an interview uh, with the uh, owner of Ignition USA, uh, Jason, and uh, got to get some hands-on uh, time with uh, the CRAT, the Seattle uh, Rapid Access Tool. Uh, so it's a uh, uh, soft entry tool. So you're you're not breaking down the door to, to gain access. Great for medical, great for, um, yeah, I mean, it's just an amazing product. So check that out on online. Uh, they're on the Instagrams, Facebooks, um, yeah, Ignition USA. Um, and they have opened up a discount for our listeners. So if you enter in at checkout, DTFF 2020, uh, that's going to give you a 20% off purchase uh uh, discount. So really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, by all means, check check them out. Um, tell us what you think. We love what we see. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Great little tool. Mm-hmm. And then we have secondalarm.org. Our friend Matt, East Coast Matt. He uh, he has a cause that is coming together um, for helping all of us get more volunteers into our fire holes. Um, it's going to help really kind of shine a light on the, the wondrous things that we love to do in the industry and the reasons why we all get to keep coming back and having fun and doing them. Um, things that people just realize they don't necessarily realize that we do and the fun that we actually have and, you know, actually paint the proper picture behind what it is that we actually do. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, check out Matt's calls, secondalarm.org and, uh, yeah, pump it where you can. He's, he's a good, good lad doing good things. Uh, I think lastly on the uh, the shout outs and then we'll we'll kind of flip over to more our our side of life. Um, so we had Joel Struthers on uh, a couple episodes ago. Uh, told his story, explained his book and why he wrote it. Really good gentleman to have on. Uh, he also told us about a bit of a initiative brand that he's got going on with Legion Engineered. Uh, Todd and I picked up a couple of his hats. We've been repping them pretty steady uh getting a lot of a lot of really good feedback from people uh so what it is is it's a uh, um just an apparel brand and the proceeds so all of the mm, profits profits yes there we go yeah we definitely want to say 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 this properly all of the profits that are coming off of the sales will be donated to uh ptsd awareness so like veteran affairs uh or something of the like in if the main uh, bundle of the sales come from Canada, it'll go to Canadian Affairs. If it's coming from the States, it'll go to somewhere down down there. If it's overseas, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and he will do that every year. 
um, which is a really good thing. I mean, we were just talk, talking about the mental health and everything else that goes along with it within the fire service. But any first responder, any frontline fighter, I think is how, how he was explaining it. So a really good initiative that he's, he's starting there. So that's Legion Engineered. Again, that's on all the major uh, social media platforms. Check that out. And uh, follow Joel himself. He's uh, He cross posts a lot of things but everything's on his own sort of personal and uh it, it just so you know documents um the book the uh apparel line and everything else that he's got going on so check that out solid guy it was mm-hmm. a great great interview really yeah. really good to speak to that man yeah uh and then we have us obviously if you're listening and you're still listening we appreciate it thank you so much um <clears throat> we are on the facebook the instagram the youtube now the tiktok Thanks, bar boys. We appreciate that one. Um, yeah. No, just kidding. It's actually been quite good. Um, the uh, the Instagram and all the other fun stuff. Um, if you could and you would, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind just popping over into whatever app that you are using to listen to us. Drop us a rating. Uh, if, you, if you've got time to make a comment, we appreciate it. If not, we appreciate the rating on its own. Um, and just let us know. Let us know what you think, and uh, let us know again if there's anything that you feel like we we could be doing that we're not. Uh, we're always open again. Mm. We're trying to always share the knowledge and spread the knowledge, and and let people know what's going on where. So if uh, you have something that you'd like to discuss as well, feel free to reach out. We'd love to mm. have you on as a guest, and we can have a chat and uh, and share your message at the same time. But if you do have a sec for dropping us in a, a, a quick review and a like and a uh, share our content if you find yeah. somebody might find what we're talking about interesting please do we uh we would appreciate it yeah absolutely yeah. does mm-hmm. and uh yeah seminar uh, seminar oh yeah yeah seminar. we should definitely make mention of that so may first second third uh of this upcoming year uh we will be hosting a uh seminar it's a it, what started out as a british columbia volunteer firefighter seminar uh, which has now opened up into, uh, I mean, that's still the main the main focus, but we've gotten people from Alberta uh, and beyond going east. We've got people from the Pacific Northwest coming up from the States. Um, so realistically, so it's open to anybody. Uh, it's obviously hosted in uh, British Columbia every year, every second year. Uh, we are lucky enough to be the host of it. So um, yeah, if you are interested in that, it is a, um, a, three, a three-day event, a two-day training event, um, there's a banquet, um, after party, uh, it's, uh, nicknamed fire Palooza. It, it is a, a, a massive event. It's a festival. Is, it's, it's a, a festival. Yeah. yeah festival of yeah, fun and Really, fire. really good. So, uh, really good, quick, like hour long sessions. There's no certification that comes at, at, at the end. It's just opening your eyes to a different way of doing things. Uh, just, just little small tips and tricks that you can then take back to your department and implement in some in some training and, and also discuss with us while you're you're going through it um some different ways that maybe we can look at it right because this is always like we say what works for us and what works for us might not work for you but what, what works for you might work for us and vice versa so yeah. uh check that out over 20 hands-on live demo not not demos live events live stations so uh you will be um in gear or live training at uh, every single station along the way. So we'll probably cap it around 25, but right now we're, we're confirmed over 20 events. So yeah, that's a lot to cram in over two days. Uh, but uh, if you are interested, you can check us out at uh, Facebook. We are sharing the sign up form 
at the Oliver Firefighter Spring Seminar. So if you search that up, it'll pop up right away. Hop on there, uh, print out our uh, highly advanced form that you fill out with a pen or pencil, and then uh, email that over to us, and you will get yourself signed up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast, man. It's gonna be awesome. Every year we have a every time we do it, ah, so much fun. Every year, best year ever, and then it kind of ramps up. Yeah, what we're gonna do next year to to one up ourselves, which uh, then just puts on a better a better environment for all of you people that come and train with us and Absolutely. we we love doing it and if, if we were physically able to i think we would put it on every year i would agree, I would agree. <laughs> but uh, we are very very gracious that the rest of the province also takes uh, takes the opposite years and um we we try to go up and support and and be involved when when they when they do and we definitely appreciate the people that come to ours yeah it's a blast in more yep. ways than one you <laughs> I like what you did there absolutely yeah so uh, Ash that's about that's about it Chat. yeah all good yeah any more for any more no sir I think that should wrap it Scott already ran off yeah Scott Scott had to leave so we will uh, say goodbye on his behalf absolutely Ash alright guys thanks a lot Scott well, yeah, thanks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stay safe everyone bye bye